Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Aladdin. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Aladdin is a 1992 Disney movie. It was uh, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Written by Ron Clements, John Musker, Ted Elliott, and Terry Rossio. Among others, we noticed in the credits there was about 20 people listed as story. That's always a good sign. It is. It stars the voices of Robin Williams, Scott Weinger, Linda Larkin, Jonathan Freeman, Frank Welker, Gilbert Gottfried, and the singing voices of Leia Salonga and Brad Kane, who are uncredited, but I credit them right now. Yeah, they deserve some credit. Because Leia Salonga is amazing. And she also went on to be in Les Mis. And Brad Kane was on Buffy. And Brad Kane was on Buffy. For all of our Buffy fans out there, he was Tucker. Also the the singing voice of Jonathan. And the singing voice of Jonathan from In Suit, the episode Superstar. If you're not a fan of Buffy... You are not as excited as we are right now. But if you are a fan of Buffy, <laughs> you are so excited. And if you're a fan of Aladdin, you were excited when he was on Buffy. Precisely. So, Paul, for those who have not seen the 1992 movie Aladdin, what is it about? Aladdin is a street rat who finds a magic lamp with a genie and uses it to win the heart of the princess. There's a bad guy named Jafar who also is there. (laughs) I feel like I could give an (laughs) in-depth beat-by-beat, but I am presuming a lot of familiarity with Aladdin, and so hence the fairly sparse plot summary. Yeah, that's, that's the plot. I mean, that's exactly what happens. It's based roughly on the, uh, tale from the thousand and one nights mm-hmm. i haven't read a thousand and one nights in a long time but i have read it and i just want to right now point out that uh in a thousand and one nights aladdin is chinese also there are two genies in the story of aladdin and the genie of the lamp there's the genie of the ring and the genie of the lamp and the genie of the ring can grant like as many wishes as he wants but they're smaller rings and functionally the magic carpet in this works just like the genie of the ring does in the original story like he helps Aladdin out and his magic, but mm-hmm. can't do as amazing things as the genie of the lamp can. That is so interesting. Just like putting that out there. Cool. So let's dive into our first thing, which is objectively, is this a good movie? I'm going to just put right out there. This is a really good movie, objectively. Yeah, I agree. This is one of Disney's uh, star movies, mm-hmm. I think. Of its era, like, there's this, there's Beauty and the Beast, uh, there's The Lion King a little while after this. Mm-hmm. Those are the best movies of this immediate vicinity well, by Disney. It w- it went Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Those are the th- and then Lion King. Right. Were the, those movies in order. And, um... They are... There's quite a gap Disney- between Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, though, isn't there? Incorrect. Huh. It feels like it. Little Mermaid was 1989. Beauty and the Beast, I believe, was 1991. 
feels so like a years. world between those two movies. Aladdin is 1992, and The Lion King is the following year. Hmm. I really do love these years of Disney. I am a history person, so I remember dates. Um, this is the Silver Age. This is what's called the Silver Age of Disney. Aladdin is great, and it is right up there with the other ones. I mean, the highlights of Aladdin, the songs, Ellen Mankin's some beautiful songs in this movie, hilarious in Friend Like Me, uh, A Whole New World is its breakaway pop hit. And is a classic. I mean, like, a when classic. you think of Disney love songs, A Whole New World is perhaps the best one. Mm-hmm. And then One Jump Ahead is also catchy and remember and Yeah, there are no... <laughs> I would say in terms of the music, I totally agree. In terms of quality, the music is a highlight. And I don't think there is a dud song in this movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas compare it to like The Little Mermaid has amazing music, but like the Sailor song at the beginning, you can just skip it. There's no point to it. Fathoms Below. Fathoms Below. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's true. And like... Even Beauty and the Beast, which is my personal favorite of this era. Mm-hmm. But even Beauty and the Beast, like, uh, there may be something there that wasn't there before, is not a great song on its merits. Yeah. Like, it's important for the development of the story. But where Aladdin doesn't have any songs that are not good just as songs. M- maybe... I think the worst one is One Jump Ahead of the Breadline, but it's, that's like, it's still really fun. Yeah. I love all the songs. Musically and lyrically. It's really fun and catchy. And I think Arabian Nights is actually the one that breaks uh, away. Yeah, it's yeah. not very good. Okay. You're right. It's forgettable. I forgot it's about in, it. It's the, exactly, it's the intro song. I think I'm going to put another uh, suggestion of highlights, and that is the voice acting throughout is all good, but... Robin Williams is really great in this movie. And I said, when we talked about Hook, I said that Hook was, I liked Robin Williams in it, but it wasn't one of my top five favorite Robin Williams performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aladdin is. Yeah. Aladdin is maybe my favorite Robin Williams performance. I think he is so great in this movie. I think he does a lot to bring the, both the comedy and the charm to this movie. Uh, I don't think... In this movie that he ever, like his uh, manic uh, mile a minute talking is really well suited to this character and Mm -hmm. to the style of the comedy of this movie. And it just, I think it works really well. The only downside in my mind to Robin Williams' performance in this movie is it marks the shift in Disney movies from hiring voice actors to hiring Hollywood actors. And I don't think that was a good shift. Because Agreed. a lot of them aren't as able to be great voice actors as Robin Williams is in this movie. But Robin Williams is great in this movie, I think. I um, I agree with you that he's great in this movie. I don't... I disagree a little bit about the manicness. I feel like it is a bit manic. And it is... Watching it now in 2018, it's... His references are very dated, and it, it's part of what makes this movie a little <laughs> less timeless than, say, Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid is his, like, impressions and his, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, though his, his impressions are like Ed Sullivan and Groucho Marx they and Rodney Dangerfield. They were dated at the time. They were da- exactly. They were dated at the time. 
but still, that grounds it at a specific time in history, so it doesn't make it quite the timeless classic that other movies are. However, he is funny, and this movie is, really benefits from his comedy, and the genie is great. Yeah. I think, I mean, and like I say, the comedy, I wonder if it's because this is a movie I've seen a lot of times, and so none of it is uh, new to me. I can say that I think that Robin Williams does a great job and the comedy is good. I don't know that he ever actually made me laugh on this viewing. Hmm. So. Yeah, I think I mean, he did. There was one, there was a couple of parts where you laughed. And I okay. think it was because of him. I think, uh, I think I might have laughed at, in one jump ahead of the bread line a few times, especially at, I blame parents except he hasn't got them, which I know that line. I know it's coming, but it tickles me. <laughs> and like, the like, she thinks the monkey is the sultan. Yeah. I like, you idiot. We've all got swords. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> See, we've seen this movie enough, and I don't feel like we've watched it a ton of times, but we've seen this movie enough that when that line was coming, I knew it was coming, and I knew it was coming because I knew that you liked it, not because <laughs> I like it. I mean, I like it fine, but... Here's the thing about, like, getting out of objectively for a second into personal history, Aladdin was the movie we owned when I was a kid. My parents weren't into buying movies at all, but for some reason my mom bought the VHS of Aladdin. And so since, and I like repeatedly watching things. And so I watched Aladdin, like, I don't think I would exaggerate if I said I watched it a hundred times. I have it fully memorized. When I was in about grade eight or grade nine, I could quote vast parts of this movie to my friends. I'm sure that made me so popular. And I was like that with Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast was the one movie we owned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So like when we're watching this with the kids, I struggle really hard not to quote every <laughs> single line. Okay. Um, in terms of, let's get back Again, to objective, just yeah, for a second more. I mean, the plot is very straightforward. Yep. Watching it this time again, it's, you know, it's a, he's got an objective. He's got, you know, he he wants to get the girl. He turns into a prince. He gets his prince to tick. Like, it's, it ticks all the boxes of a basic plot. And in terms of villains, it's a good villain because mm-hmm. Jafar has a goal yes. that is not directly related to Aladdin, mm-hmm. but a la- like it's the well-constructed conflict where Jafar doesn't have a beef with Aladdin specifically. Yeah. He just wants something that Aladdin is in the way of him getting. Yeah. Aladdin is, is a obstacle. Yeah. Which is a good, like they both have, they just have purposes. They're at cross purposes that aren't directly related to each other. Mm-hmm. It's a well-motivated conflict. Yeah, I agree. So the other thing about this movie is uh, the animation. Yeah, how's the animation? I mean, one of the things just specifically that I love about Aladdin is that magic carpet. Mm -hmm. Because the amount of detail on it, and it stands out to me especially because after Aladdin, there was like a bunch of direct-to-video sequels. There was a TV show for a while. And in those, the carpet is boring shapes it does not have a detailed pattern but in aladdin the movie 
It has an embroidered pattern. It has uh, a beautiful, like, it's the scene of the Cave of Wonders on that carpet. Yep. And it's consistent throughout the movie. And that's really impressive when you think about the fact that back at this point in time, things were hand-drawn. Except. Except. That this was the first movie to use computer animation. And you can, you notice uh, it's noticeable, especially to our eye now, that our very is very used to recognizing computer animation. It's noticeable in the escape from the Cave of Wonders. Yes. And it's noticeable sometimes the backgrounds, especially the palace, mm-hmm. is computer animated. Uh, but a lot of this movie is hand animated. I think the animation on this movie is really great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the carpet stands out as a highlight. Everything, what I often go to is, you know, the execution, but also the character design. Mm-hmm. Like, these are this well-designed movie. Uh, think about the design of Apu and how well-designed that monkey is. Mm-hmm. He looks and, great. And Jafar and his hands. Yeah. And how well done his hands are in every scene. Yeah. yeah. It's a good-looking movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is Disney at its, yeah, at its best. Doing what Disney did back then is this high quality hand-drawn animation yep so aside from objectively how much do you enjoy this movie have we already said this (laughs) i like aladdin a lot um i think we've already said our personal histories you have a more of a uh nostalgic connection Mm -hmm. to aladdin than i do by quite a lot my nostalgic connection to Aladdin actually is I had a friend who had a Sega Genesis and I could sometimes go over to his house and we would play Sega sometimes <laughs> and he had Aladdin the game. Ooh. And so one jump ahead of the ding one's fine with uh, Sega music yeah, and you could totally. run across the fire pit and like watching it, I was just like, I was right there. I was playing the game. <laughs> so many of the gags from that song mm-hmm. are gags in the that level of the game and then you get trapped in the lamp and then your mom says you have to go home and you don't ever find out what level comes after the lamp <laughs> it's a sad life yep. when you're the one who doesn't have the gaming system I, yep. I i live that life too i would love to hear if you're one of our listeners who was like that too or your friend had the super nintendo or whatever we want to hear about it. <laughs> so that to say, I like Aladdin. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it again. There are parts that, because of familiarity, I tuned out a little bit because I've seen it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed the experience of watching it this time, and I always do. Yeah. I completely agree. I love, yeah, I have this strong personal history with Aladdin, just watching it over and over and loving it. I... Love, especially, it's the music. The music is really what I especially love about it. Watching it this time, trying to have more of a way-too-seriously vibe to it made me notice some things, but it didn't decrease my enjoyment overall. Cool. Should we get into the way-too-seriously portion of our show? Yes. Where do you want to start with way-too-seriously? There are a few places to start. There are a few places to start. I mean, do you want to jump in with the biggest one? What's the that? I feel like the that biggest depends. one. What's the biggest one? The biggest one is the fact that like 
all right, this takes place in Arabia. Agrabah, which is Agrabah. definitely a real place. Oh, yeah, for sure. But basically, this takes place in the Middle East. Yeah. Are any of the actors Middle Eastern, Paul? None of the actors are Middle Eastern, Jan. Do no, any of the characters no. look Middle Eastern? You, I mean... Maybe? Jasmine? Some of the street people do. Yeah. The guy that uh, Jasmine steals an apple from. The, vendor, the apple vendor. Looks like a Middle Eastern stereotype. There you go. <laughs> uh, they're all they're quite light-skinned. Mm-hmm. Arabian people can yeah, be quite yeah. light, light-skinned. That's true. That's true. So, I mean... Not particularly, though. Not particularly. I mean, it's mostly that, like, everyone involved in the making of this movie is super white. Hmm. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's a thing. And then the next question that arises from that is, can you tell from what they put on the screen? Like, does that lack of perspective, does that lack of, uh, does that end up showing in the way that they depict Arabia. I think so. So do I. Well, how do you think so, Paul? I think there's a few things. One is, and this is a little unfair, but like famously the lyrics to Arabian Nights got changed mm-hmm. because originally it was where they'll cut off your hand if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. And then they changed the lyrics after protest. They changed the lyrics to it's hotter than hot. The heat is intense. The heat is intense and it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Um, Still left the barbaric part in. They still left that it's barbaric and barbaric is still a loaded word. Even if you're talking about the landscape, barbaric is super loaded. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, very exoticized women in this movie. Um, from Jasmine down to like all the women that he encounters as he's running through the streets. And that is, we could talk about that that in the context of gender and maybe we will, Mm -hmm. but in the context of, uh, race, it is, uh, fetishization of exotic women. Yeah. And it's fetishization of an exotic culture. So like they're, they're exotic foreign women who are sexy for being foreign. And they're really depicted that way. Mm-hmm. So that, there's that. Yeah. There's maybe other things that we could point to. Is What was on your mind when you said you think it shows? The line about being barbaric. Yeah. The, the apple cart seller about to ch- chop off Jasmine's hand without a yeah. second thought. Yeah, yeah. The very much anything that like, they're very backwards. And it's supposed to take place. A long time ago, like this isn't current. Yeah, but there still is an aspect to it that is very like it's backwards. It's not. Um, and there's yeah, there's also a way that they use markers of Arabness uh, as punchlines, like wake up and smell the hummus. Yes, like have another slice of baklava. Yeah, like. Uh, also, uh, Allah forbid you ever have any children. The mm-hmm. references to Allah are all like 
I don't think that those are marks of authenticity. No. I think they are marks of uh, placeholder marker of foreignness. Yes. You know, especially the hummus and the baklava, which are both, I think, the hummus, I think, I would believe is a Robin Williams improv. I thought, when I was a kid, I thought he was saying homeless. <laughs> Wake up and smell the homeless, which would be a terrible line. <laughs> What's funny, remembering uh, like hummus seemed very exotic. Yeah, I don't think I knew what hummus was when I was a kid. I did, but felt in the know. Yeah. Or like, most people don't know what he's talking about when he says, wake up and spell the hummus. I do because uh, my brother what happened to have gone to Egypt for reasons mm-hmm. that don't need going into right now. But so he had like a Middle Eastern knowledge. and Right, yeah. Uh, so like, I felt like I had special insider information that let me know what hummus was. And oh, and then like, I'm a don't, not to be a doubting Mustafa... And like, Mm -hmm. again, it's a Ron Williams line that I can believe was improv but like Ron Williams makes these pop culture references and then substitutes markers of Arabness into them. Yes, exactly. Um, That is problematic because it is about exoticization and flat substitution of generic markers as what it means to be representing a weird and foreign culture. What's hilarious is, wake up and smell the coffee. Coffee is what comes from I know, Arabia. right? <laughs> like, that's the thing, that coffee is what, that, that's the, where coffee originated. Yeah. So, like, yeah. You could, you could like, just say coffee. You could just have said coffee. That would be yeah. just as foreign. Anyway. Good point. All of that, though. I was, can I just say, though, one quick thing, like. They wouldn't make this this movie today. Yeah. Any references to Allah? I don't think they would make in a movie today. I agree with you. I think that they would... I think that this... Yeah, I think that Aladdin would never have been made after 9-11. I agree with you. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. And I don't think that the what happens here is good in any sense of the word, but I do think, like, it's, you do need to represent other cultures as well, yeah. have people from other cultures involved in that, but the fact that I don't think that this movie could be made, would be made now at all, is speaks to, like, this stupid fear we have of, like, oh, Middle Eastern is all terrorism and Allah is, ter-. like, Allah just means God, people, Allah just means God. Christians in, uh, you know, Syria, mm-hmm. Syrian Christians pray to Allah yes, because that's just the Arabic word for God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I totally agree. And I think that while I'm not wanting to excuse the appropriation behind this movie, the exoticization, the fetishization in this movie, I think it is all born from ignorance rather than malice. Yes. Uh I think it is well-intentioned, but misguided, and that's not meant to excuse. No. But I think that that well-intentioned would be hard to find today. Yes, I agree. And that's sad. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to make a well-intentioned... 
I mean, if you, I get, maybe it's not so much that it would be hard to make a well-intentioned Aladdin today, but like, you wouldn't make Aladdin today. You would make the breadwinner today, and it would be a political statement, a deliberate and conscious political statement, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't make throwaway a la gags, for sure. <laughs> they are, I believe, doing to Aladdin what they're doing to, what they did to Beauty and the Beast and are doing to Milan. Right. Is making a live action. So I believe they are going to do that. We However, shall see what they we'll do see what with that. A, we'll see what they do with that. And B, I feel like we're far enough away that maybe maybe they could do it again. Maybe they could do things respectfully. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you have anything we talked about uh, in terms of like the uh, veiled uh, dancers? Like I'm, I'm, I want to call them harem girls because although I, I think that's the cliche that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? I want to call them harem girls, except that I want not to because I don't think that they have told me that they are. Yeah. But they depict them like a cliche of a harem girl. Yes, cliched harem girls. When we talked about those in terms of uh, exoticism of Arabia. Mm-hmm. I said we might want to come back to it in the context of gender. We sure do. What do you think about gender in this movie? Well, there. Well, it sure does not pass the Bechdel test. Nope. It has just the one woman, Jasmine. Yep. There are all of these, yeah, other set dressing women who, I mean, it's the sexy lamp test. If yeah. You, could, could this have been played by a sexy lamp? And yes. All of these other women could have been played by a sexy lamp. Everyone except Jasmine and sometimes Jasmine. Yeah, exactly. So there is uh, some incredibly unrealistic body type issues in this. Yeah. But there is a few variety of body shapes. Mm-hmm. But there is like, when he goes into that place that like... Uh, she says, I blame parents, except he hasn't got them. It's these three skinny little girls and this older woman who sings that line. And it does feel like this is a brothel. Like she's the matron and these are her prostitutes. Yeah. And that does read that way a little bit. I mean, obviously does not read that way to children, but as an adult watching that, I'm like, that's kind of what it seems like that is. So that's the deal. (laughs) And she, that character, I'd blame parents except he hasn't got him. Like in terms of body shape, she shares a body shape with another woman in the same song who sings, uh, still I think he's rather tasty. Mm -hmm. You have sexy and unsexy women. And unsexy are round. Mm -hmm. Big fat women are unsexy. Uh, All sexy women have exactly the same curves as each other. Mm -hmm. And wear revealing clothing. Yes, exactly. So that's like how how women are depicted in this movie is you either have a body that I want to see and so I get to mm-hmm. or you have a body that I don't want to see and then it's a joke that you would want that I would see it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like the woman who's still I think he's rather tasty is also wearing the same outfit, but it's funny that mm-hmm. she would be like you couldn't replace that with someone who had uh 
you couldn't replace that with one of the other women yeah. because the joke has to be that he she's someone that he wouldn't want. Mm-hmm. These three girls who sing during the Prince Ali song and are also in the other song, they could, they're basically just a cut and paste from the three girls in town in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Like With different clothes, but... It's just like, this is what we have in the background of a Disney movie is three women who are in love with a man. Yeah. And like, that, what is up with that weird trope? I don't know. I don't think it continues beyond these two movies. I don't think that there's... Mm, Ariel's sisters? Are there mm, three of them? No. There's, no. There's a lot more of them. There's a lot of them, and they never are like, Prince Eric, pant, pant. Uh... I don't think that the that, that trope continues, but it, it, totally, I thought the same thing. They yep. function exactly like the three blonde uh, women in Beauty and the Beast in town. Mm-hmm. And then there's, um, so that's a deal. The major uh, character through which to interrogate gender in this movie is Jasmine, right? Like yep. we could say, and we have already said, there's the one character who's actually female that we care about and that's a deal everyone's male unless they have to be female Mm -hmm. um and the female character well i was gonna say something but let me not jump to the conclusion let me get there step by step (laughs) what do we think about jasmine how is jasmine in this movie she's not just a prize to be won Paul. That well, that's she, what she says. That is what she says. I am not a prize to be won. Is she not I just mean, a prize to be won? In terms of structure, she is very much a prize to be won. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of what the like Aladdin's explicit goal in this movie. What is the one thing that he wants when Genie's like, what's the thing you want more most in this world? There's this girl. Mm-hmm. So that's what he wants. And uh, I said, like, Aladdin and Jafar have contrary goals. Aladdin's goal is to get with Jasmine. Jafar's goal is to rule the world. And in mm-hmm. order for that to happen, uh, Aladdin is an obstacle to that. Uh, and then for a while, Jafar mm-hmm. also wants to get with Jasmine just because... I guess, because she's there and not wearing a lot of clothes. Um, But her goal, for a while, for like a brief second in this movie, she has a goal. She wants freedom and independence and to make up her own mind and to choose for herself and carve her own path. Uh, And that path leads directly to Aladdin and then her carving is done. (laughs) Yes. We could argue that... She wants to choose who she marries and she gets to choose. Yep. But we could also argue that she wanted to experience life outside the castle and she does not get to do that at all. And aside her wanting, from about five seconds. Her wanting to choose who she marries at first is uh, symbolic of greater desire for independence. Yes. So that is the hill that she is dying on Mm -hmm. is I'm going to choose who I marry, but it symbolizes in all ways I want to be uh, able to make my own choices and experience life outside the palace and be, have agency. Yes. I want agency and I'm going to specifically ask for agency in who I marry. Yes. That's representative of a desire for agency more generally. Yeah. 
She gets to marry Aladdin, but does she, though? Aladdin gets to marry her. Yeah. We don't care. By the end of the movie, I don't feel like the movie is asking us to care very much that she has chosen Aladdin. Uh, yeah. It's asking us to care a lot that Aladdin has been chosen by her. Mm. Right? If you see the difference. Yeah, I think I see the difference. It's a thing that has happened to Aladdin rather mm. than a thing that Jasmine has done. Yeah. And she doesn't care anymore and neither do we about her agency in any other way. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that she does not, is not well served in this movie as a whole. I feel... Much like we kind of made a similar uh, complaint about the Book of Life, that there is a gesture towards I'm not a prize to be won, but then the movie does not quite believe their own words. Yes, exactly. They're going through the motions of she should, she's a person, but only to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, and we can see that in all kinds of ways. Like, she's less of a person than Belle was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so, Belle also is not a prize to be won. Is not, you know, for... I'm talking about Beauty of the Beast because Beauty of the Beast is my favorite. But, like, there's a similar theme, right? Of Gaston wants Belle because she's the prettiest. And it's explicit in Beauty and the Beast that Belle is not just something for Gaston to have to have another trophy. Yeah. But Belle, the mo- that movie, believes it and gives Belle actual agency and she does stuff that's her choice for her own fulfillment. Mm-hmm. This isn't Jasmine's story. It's Aladdin's story. And mm-hmm. so we could give it some leeway just in terms of like, she's not the protagonist. And so yeah. she's not as developed. Aladdin is the one that we care about because he's the protagonist. Yeah. But it's also like, she just doesn't... I mean, she's, as much agency. She doesn't have as much agency. She has not no agency, like some other Disney princesses. She has, True. she makes the choice to go with him. She figures out that he is Aladdin, not Prince Ali, pretty quickly. Yeah. And is smart about it and uh, tricks him into telling her instead of being accusatory, which I like about her. Yeah, that's true. She she chooses to go on his magic carpet. She chooses to to escape the first time. She confronts Jafar. She de- like she makes a lot of choices, which is good. They show her making a lot of choices. That that is true. You're right. She uses her cleverness to like she uses her seductiveness to seduce Jafar to try and give Aladdin a chance to grab the lamp. That was a confusing moment for me as a boy. <laughs> okay (laughs) um she it's like it's complicated because she uses her her sexuality to try to defeat the evil du jour and like is that cleverness or is that just like What's she the uses word? Whatever tools are at your disposal. Yeah, but she's also um, written that way, drawn that way, yeah, made that way on purpose. So, and then that moment is when Jafar and Aladdin are most both wanting the same thing instead of wanting separate things that are 
uh, at odds with each other. And when they are both wanting the same thing, they're both wanting Jasmine and she's a thing to be wanted. Yes, exactly. And they kind of move her into that position so that by the end, they're sort of having a duel of who over who gets to possess Jasmine. Mm-hmm. And that not, shouldn't be what their fight is about at the end, but they kind of turn that into what their fight is at the end. Yeah. So I wanted to mention one other kind of woman. Okay, go. And that is the genie just makes people. Yeah. Multiple times. And during the friend like me scene, he make, he multiple, mul- several times makes like sexy dancing women to be dancing with Aladdin. And Aladdin even tries to kiss one. Yeah. And like, that's a problem. That's a problem for people watching this movie, children watching this movie going, oh, part of his, like, fulfilling his every desire is giving him a woman who is an object for him, who is literally an object, like she doesn't actually exist. For him to kiss. For him to kiss. So that's another thing that's I agree. difficult and, like- and a, a detriment to this movie. The women, the dancers are like... There are people who are literal set dressing for the genie's song. Some of them are men, some of them are women. Yeah, especially in the Prince Ali. There's tons of different kinds of people. But the point that I absolutely, like, it bothered me when Aladdin's, like, about to kiss this woman. Mm -hmm. Who isn't a woman, who isn't real, who is, like, I don't know what we would say she is. She's a... Magical projection? A magical construct made out of jewels and rocks. Or just made out of magic ions. <laughs> Don't get scientific with a Disney movie. But like, why is that so troubling? It presents for the viewers that there is a kind of woman who exists as an object. Yes, exactly. Which there isn't. Yeah. No one is an object. Yeah. Anything else that this movie, besides race and sexual and uh, gender? I mean... There is some, uh, there are some issues that we would be stale in bringing up that I don't want to dwell on. Like Jasmine has the cliche of the poor little rich kid who Mm. like, I wish I could go out and be free by, by starving poverty. Like she lives a life of extreme privilege and, uh, doesn't recognize that and is never called upon to recognize that. Yes, that is a good call. Uh, like, the fact that she's wandering through the market and she just, like, gives a kid an apple because she has no idea what money even is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a thing. Yeah. I don't know that I, like, that's a thing that I've heard about for decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I have uh, anything fresh to say about that. But maybe we should just acknowledge that as a thing that yeah. is in Aladdin. Um, do you think that uh, Jafar is a foundational source or inspiration for Voldemort. Hmm. Maybe not for J.K. Rowling, but for, uh, in the Order of the Phoenix, when Dumbledore has his big battle with Voldemort uh, in the Ministry of Magic, Mm -hmm. and Voldemort is like turning into a snake, and there's and just making Voldemort and Dumbledore is making fire, and that fight scene is very reminiscent of Aladdin and Jafar's fight scene, where there's all these fire, and then he turns into a snake. I 
don't know. <laughs> it might just be a coincidence, but it might be. Jafar and Voldemort definitely have some things in common. Just throwing that out there. But I think that the, it's a bit of a stretch, <laughs> to say the least. I'm, I presume you said <laughs> when you were listing characters, when you were listing actors, Frank Welker's name came up and I didn't ask. I presume that he's a boo? Yes, he is. Yeah. A b- can I just say, this isn't really way too seriously, but Abu is a fantastic monkey. And they turn him into an elephant for like half the movie. And you're like, I just want him back as the monkey. The monkey is so good. And so like, uh, the way that Frank Welker does the voice where it's almost talking, it's like, it's this monkey language that you can understand. Yeah but also is still not actually speaking, is so fantastic, and I have always loved it. It's fairly Donald Duck. <laughs> it is a little Donald Duck, you're right. But then he turns him into an elephant, and I'm always sad the whole time that Abu is an <laughs> elephant. I'm like, just take him, put him back into a monkey. He's not happy as an elephant. He's not happy as an He's elephant. He's trying to eat bananas. And like... That talk about taking your agency away. The genie just takes away Abu's agency and doesn't let him be who he is. And like, are we supposed to not care just because he's an animal? The animals not deserve agency and uh, well, some kind of control over their identity. Clearly, they do because the parrot Iago chooses to be evil and gets punished with Jafar in the end. And so, obviously, he makes a choice to. Like if you, to if, be on the side of evil. If you can punish Iago for being evil, then it is evil to manipulate Abu's body without his consent. 100%. So yeah. I'm glad I brought this up in the way too seriously. Me too. Because it is serious. It is serious. And another thing. <laughs> and another thing. Gilbert Gottfried, we forgot to talk about. Uh, in some ways, I love... Iago, he's so funny and well done. But in other ways, man, Gilbert Godfrey's voice is like the most annoying voice. <laughs> Don't like it. I so think he's yelly. Great. I think uh, I like Iago. I like so much about Iago. I think Gilbert Godfrey's voice sounds like a parrot's voice more yes. than it sounds like a human voice. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. And I love the way that Iago can mimic people's voices yes that's that is a trait of iago the parrot he's a parrot he's a parrot it's great um maybe one more little thing in terms of way too seriously is just about the cave of wonders can only be entered by one person the diamond in the rough does that Mm -hmm. imply that aladdin is literally the only beggar of worth yeah all other poor people deserve to be poor and are poor because they have no value? Hmm. I've definitely questioned a lot whether there actually is only one. The diamond the, in the rough. It says, though, only one may enter. Or it says, only one. I can't do it. Just clip it. <laughs> only one may enter here. Only one may enter. Only one. I'm going to play the only one. Like, I'm going to clip the only one and play it, like, six times. I'm not really. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. There's only one diamond. There's a lot of gems. 
in yeah, the rough. So he's the but he's the he's the standout. He's the only diamond. I'm not saying this is a good thing. But he's the only person, and then he gets to live in the palace because he actually deserves to live in the palace by yes. virtue of some ineffable quality of his. Like what is it? I don't know. He yeah. shares bread with poor kids. Yeah. Uh, he's rather tasty. Uh, <laughs> he is rather. Oh boy, that's where I have some feelings as a young, young child. <laughs> He's modeled after Tom Cruise with MC Hammer pants. Come on. He was played by Scott from Full House, or Steve from Full House. <laughs> so dreamy. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, it really implies that all the other poor people deserve what they, their property. Hmm. It does. That is a problem. Yep. Well. So, is Aladdin good? Yes. Is Aladdin seriously good? No. I agree with both of those (laughs) things. I think it's, yeah, it's seriously good, but I think it's good, but seriously bad. Yeah. There's a lot of issues. And we want to, we being like, Paul and Jan, not we, all of society. We kind of want to look past the seriously badness because of nostalgia reasons, mm. but like, no, it's seriously bad. Yeah, it's seriously it's bad. It's not even medium. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Well, if you want to tell us, did you ever only have one movie in your house growing up? And if so, what was it? Were you the kid who had to go across the street to play on someone's game system? Or were you the kid who invited your friend over and then played in front of them the game system that you had access to all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Did you, did you have to play Luigi or did you get to play Mario? I'd play Luigi, of course. Always Luigi. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I say this, my friend who had Aladdin looking back on it, he was like super generous with letting me play as much as I wanted to. And I probably was the jerk, not him, for like, I want to come over to your house and just play your game system all the time. Yeah, probably. Uh, so, sorry um, about that. My my thing is mostly compounded by I have, we did have a game system for a while and I have two older sisters. So, I mostly just watched them play. Right. And so, because they were better at it than me and then I got to see what actually happened in the game. Yeah. And then I would go over to a friend's house and watch her play Mario, and I would play Luigi for three seconds until I got killed by that first mushroom every time. Yeah, that was always mean. The, like, the kids who would pretend that a fair way of playing was like, we'll just each play until we die. I own this game and can play through the entire game without dying once. This is literally the second time you've ever held the controller. You're going to die immediately. Oh, my turn again. Yep. <laughs> There's a bit of bitterness there. That was Let's a different kid. Let's talk about all of our, all of our childhood <laughs> trauma. <laughs> that was a different kid when I was even when I was younger. I believe this is a universal experience, I and someone it will tell us about it. And how they will tell us about it? Probably on Twitter at WTScast, or send us a long email about all of your childhood traumas. <laughs> Way too seriously cast at gmail.com. You can. Find us other places, and those are in the show notes. And if you like this show, you can rate and review us, or you can support us at cl- uh, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Support us- from Patreon patrons is what makes this show possible. 
and makes it possible for us to maybe get some therapy for all of our childhood trauma. Exactly. Maybe we'll make it the $10,000 goal. If we get $10,000 <laughs> on Patreon, we'll both undergo intensive therapy for our many traumas. Video game and Aladdin-related traumas. <laughs> uh if we are going to take this way too seriously, childhood trauma and psychotherapy are not laughing matters, no, Jen. They're they are not, Paul. <laughs> All right. We had some seriously privileged childhoods and like we did. it's not even funny. Okay. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. We did that backwards. Do you do I always go first? Yeah. Oh. That's good. You can go first. Yeah, exactly. I, in, I'm in not life. just some prize to be won. Mom. I know. Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> You're no prize. <laughs> Test one, two. Anything but that. Fetishization. Fetishization. Megda Stevenski. Fetishization. I don't think the fetishization. I can't say that word.